Well, good morning, Abundant Life. It is great to see you this morning, and my kids would totally testify that part of the job description of being a dad is to tell corny jokes. But uh, great to have you with us, and a special welcome to those at our Sandy campus and our Vancouver campus and those watching online. And we're continuing our series on the 23rd Psalm called The Lord Is. Back in the day, I was a, I was a celebrity whitewater raft guide. I say a celebrity guide because I was just a weekend warrior. I was a pastor at a church in Northern California. But a good friend of mine owned the company. I became a Swiftwater Rescue Technician. He trained me to be a guide. And so I did that on weekends in the summer. It was good times. But on one occasion, I took my family whitewater rafting. And my wife, Sean, was sitting in the back compartment there next to me. And this was on the approach to, to a particular rapid. Perfect water flow for this rapid. Uh, it, it would get maximum, maximum strength and you know, cool ways at this water flow. And so I told my wife, my lovely bride, I said, uh, you, you probably need to hang on because you are sitting in the ejector seat. <laughs> and she said, I think a little bit overconfidently, she said, oh, I'll be okay. I've never fallen in all the times we've been, whitewater rafting. Now as a guide... I take it personally when there are swimmers, and I didn't intend for there to be swimmers, so it kind of affected my raft-guiding self-esteem. But, I, you know, I just thought, okay, she's been warned. And so, and, I, and I, hit, I hit the rapid perfectly for, you know, just maximum effect. And so there was a photographer there at that rapid. There was a series of five photos. The first one shows her, instead of hanging on, she's actually waving at the photographer. <laughs> And then the next four photos are a series of her being launched into the air and then into the water. And the last picture is just a picture of her two legs sticking up out of the water. It was awesome. But in addition, my dad, who was on the boat as well, he fell in during all the commotion on that rapid. And so I pulled my wife back into the, into the boat. Only uh, uh, then I noticed my dad wasn't in the boat and he hadn't surfaced. He wasn't anywhere. I was having a heart attack by this time. And but I'd given a river talk to everybody before we'd, we'd started, saying that if you have an out-of-boat experience and you come up and everything is black, don't freak out. It doesn't mean you've died. It means you've come up under the boat. So just start working your way in one direction, and you know, if you go far enough, you'll pop up. And so that's what happened with my dad. He finally came up. Only, uh, and so I went, I went to get him into the, into the boat from the water, and the you don't want to grab a person by the arm and pull them in because that could dislocate their shoulder. The proper technique is to grab by the straps of the life jacket and then lean back and let gravity do the heavy lifting, literally. You know, be easy peasy, piece of gravy. But my dad had, and in part of the river talk, I was, you know, made sure that everybody's life jackets were snug and securely fastened. Well, he had unloosened his life jacket. So I went, I grabbed the straps and the life jacket came off over his head. So by this time, he's, you know, he's hanging on the side of the boat, and we're in the next series of rapids, and I'm having a heart attack because the water's cold, and I'm afraid it's going to give him shock or a heart attack or worse, and finally got him back in. And, but it really cemented in my mind the importance, the important safety tip of do what the guide says. <laughs> That's always a good idea. And today, we're taking a look at the Lord is our guide. Psalm 23, verse 3 says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And as we've seen, Psalm 23 is an analogy of, the, of a shepherd and his sheep. We are the sheep. God is the shepherd. Make sure you don't reverse those roles. But, and while it's true that we are the sheep, the more significant truth is that God is the shepherd. That's really the main metaphor of this, of this psalm. 
But why do we need a guide? Philip Keller says this, sheep are notorious creatures of habit. If left to themselves, they will follow the same trails until they become ruts. They will graze the same hills and they, until they turn to desert wastelands. They'll pollute their own ground until it's corrupt with disease and parasites. Many of the world's finest sheep ranges have been ruined beyond repair by overgrazing and poor management of sheep owners. For example, when the Israelites occupied the promised land, it was a land of milk and honey, right? Milk, cows, honey, bees. I mean, the picture is grass and trees and flowers, very fertile land. But if you go to the land of Israel now, most of it is not that way. It's an arid wasteland, primarily because of centuries of overgrazing. Because when sheep stay in a pasture too long, they graze down to the roots so that the grass cannot come back. As a result, it makes the land susceptible to erosion. And so that's, and that's what's happened for thousands of years there in the promised land. Keller continues, he says, because of their preference for certain favored spots, these well-worn areas become quickly infested with parasites, and the upshot is that both the land is ruined and the sheep become diseased. And see, a, sharp, a smart shepherd knows that. He knows that maybe the most important job he has as a shepherd is to keep his flock on the move so that they don't overgraze, they don't ruin their land, and they don't get sickly themselves. It might be the most important function of a shepherd. And so that's what David has in mind when he spoke of being led in paths of righteousness. See, a good shepherd knows not only the condition of his sheep, but the condition of the pasture. And so he's out there checking it out, making sure that it is still optimal for the health of his sheep. And then when it's not, before the sheep graze it down past the roots where it can't come back, then he will move them to the next pasture. And so that's the background of Psalm 23. God is the shepherd. And that means for us that he is not a fan of the status quo. Have you noticed that? I suspect that God likes change more than we do. <laughs> In fact, one of my favorite phrases is, change is inevitable except from a vending machine. <laughs> and there have been times in my life where I think if left to my own devices, I would have preferred to have stayed put, thank you very much. But God sees the bigger picture, not, not just in my life, but of the kingdom of God. And see, this topic of the Lord is, is my guide gets in the subject of God's will for our lives. And I think that's the most frequently asked theological question that I get as a pastor is, what is God's will for my life? And I can't tell you what God's specific will for your life is. That's something for God to do. But I can give you some principles that can help you discern this critically important topic of God's guidance. So, first things first, as they say, settle the issue of leadership. Of leadership. I can tell you the importance from experience of having a guide. On another occasion, I was guiding a boat full of high school girls from a church youth group. And they were, they were great girls, but my goodness, they could talk. And they wore me out with their constant chatter. And on one, toward the end of the, of the, of the first part of the, of the half-day trip, uh, we were approaching a rapid called Troublemaker. And it's pretty high water flow. At normal water flow, Troublemaker is a class three plus rapid. And on this day, it was class four because there's a higher water level, which meant bigger waves and rapids. Troublemaker is an S curve with a huge standing wave. And then the middle of the channel where the river wants to direct you was the bane of every guide's existence is a jagged boulder called Snaggletooth because the river wanted to wrap your boat around that, around Snaggletooth. And so 
pretty high water flow, and so um, and we went, we made it through the S curve. We survived the the huge wave. Even made it past Snaggletooth. But then I got caught by su- surprise by a huge hole that we hit that wasn't normally there, and it, it, I did a backflip out of the boat and into the river. So I came up, and I you know I'm still I'm I'm doing okay because I have my dry suit on, and but I noticed as I'm swimming t- back toward the boat, like these girls. They're, still, they're talking to each other. They don't even know I'm out of the boat. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You know, I finally make my way back to the boat. You know, they don't offer me a, a paddle to help out. They're just, didn't get, you know, they're just yakety-yakking the whole time, and I, you know, I have to get myself back in the boat. And I'm sure they probably would have noticed something by the time we got to the next series of rapids. But here is... An important tip, don't do life without a guide. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That's doing life without a guide. Don't be that sheep. Here's what God has in mind. Jesus says this in John 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Now, my wife had a birthday yesterday and we've been married 39 years, so I've come to know a little bit of what she likes and what she doesn't like. For example, I know that I know that iced coconut lattes take her to her happy place. I know that flowers work every time they're tried. Why? Because I don't just know about her, I know her. And if you're serious about finding God's will for your life, then you need to get to know Jesus Christ. That's the place to begin. Because God's will isn't a formula, it's not a checklist. It's lived out in the context of relationship with Jesus, of knowing and walking with him. God wants you to have a healthy relationship, a vital relationship. And so the place to begin is to make Jesus the guide, the maximum authority. In the New Testament, the word is called Lord. Here in the 23rd Psalm, it's called the shepherd. To make Jesus your shepherd or your guide. I heard a couple of years ago of a, a comedian talking about the bumper sticker that he saw cruising down the freeway, the bumper sticker said, God is my co-pilot. He said, when I saw that, I sped up to see who was driving. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I want to see somebody who's so good at driving, God is calling shotgun. <laughs> yeah. God's saying, oh, you go ahead and take the wheel. I'm not familiar with this country. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? God is not meant to be your co-pilot. He's meant to be the pilot. So settle the leadership issue. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your guide, your shepherd? Because here's the truth. It is God's job to lead and it's our job to follow. And the implications of that when it comes to God's will are huge, as we'll see. So if it's God's job to lead and it's our responsibility to follow, that means that part of God's job description is to show us his will. So how does he do that? How does he reveal his will to us? Well, this list is not comprehensive. It's not exhausting. But these are the four top ways. First is through his word. The Bible serves as a roadmap to show us the way to navigate life. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, God gives us direction through his word, the Bible. 253 times in the Bible, God says, Thou shalt not, which means don't go there. 1,250 times in the Bible, it says, Thou shalt, which means do this. And so that that implies that there's a lot of issues that we can learn God's will about. So if someone were to say, God told me to kill my neighbor, 
Would you believe that person? No. Why? Because it's clearly a violation of what God has said in his word. And he's not going to contradict his nature. But most of our questions about God's will come in a more specific area, like who should I marry and what job should I take and should I, what house or what car should I buy? Because the last time I checked, there was no specific scripture verse that said, I want you to marry Sean, I want you to buy a house in Damascus, or I want you to become a missions pastor at Abundant Life Church. But see, while many of our questions aren't addressed specifically in the Bible, there are principles that can serve as an invaluable guideline. For example, should I move in and live with Mary or with Sue? Well, if it's compromising God's authority, guess what? Neither, neither are God's will. So if the Bible doesn't speak directly to your situation, the question is, are there any biblical principles that apply? For example, if you need help raising children, God has provided some guidance. Check out the book of Proverbs. Or if you need help with your marriage, the Bible speaks into that. The Bible gives guidance regarding money and finances. I heard a preacher teach on Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then this preacher kind of went off on that. And he said, Do you want an expensive car? Do you want a large house? Do you want a financially prosperous life? Jesus promises to give all these things to you. <clears throat> Wrong, oh, sports fans. That's not what that, that passage means. He took it totally out of context. The context in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is talking about how God has promised to meet our needs in the area of food, clothing, and shelter. Our needs, not our greeds. So, and I came across this. I thought this was really great. I want you to listen to it. He says, this writer says, if your reading of the Bible completely confirms your pre-existing beliefs, you may be projecting some of those beliefs into Scripture. But if you find that the scripture is challenging your assumptions and commitments, then you may well be in touch with its real meaning. And so, again, it's not a matter of we're the authority of the Bible. The Bible is the authority over us. So secondly, God speaks through his word. He also speaks through his spirit. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit comes into you never to leave you or forsake you. Jesus says this in John 16, verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And the Holy Spirit is our constant companion, our friend, and our guide. And to be led by the Spirit is to follow his leading in your life. Now, most often, this takes place through prayer. Frequently, in the Bible, you see great men and women of faith, when they don't know what they do, they pray. And see, prayer is not just talking to God. It is also listening to him. In the, in the still, small voice. And I'm, I'm convinced that God is always communicating to us. It's just that we need to get the spiritual spidey sense to, to pay attention and listen. On one occasion, though, I was uh, sitting in church, minding my own business, as during the communion time, the reflection time. And I've never heard the audible voice of God, but this was as clear and distinct as I've ever heard it. In fact, it was so clear, I looked around to see if anybody else heard it. And the voice said this, Love your wife like I love the church. Now, that didn't come from me because I wasn't thinking anywhere along those lines. It certainly didn't come from the enemy. It was the voice of God. And the Bible says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. But this was in the first person. Love your wife like I love the church. It was the voice of God speaking to me. And when I heard God's voice and I integrated it into my life, I started doing that, it transformed my life and, and my marriage. 
Now, some decisions, admittedly, aren't that critical or important, like should I use plastic or paper? But God, you know, or does God care about who wins the NBA championship tonight? Although I'm pretty sure he's a Golden State Warriors fan. <laughs> but God guides us through his word, through his spirit, and then he guides us through other believers. Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. And God may use a friend or a teacher, a parent. God can even use a preacher to convey his message of truth to us. And sometimes these words can come as a warning or as a blessing or as prophetic truth about our lives. And admittedly, this can, this, you know, there's some dangers fraught with this because I've, you know, I've had the experience of having people tell me, well, God told me this. When obviously it was their own preference or their own flesh that was talking. So be careful about, doing, about playing the God card because nobody can argue with God. And, you know, one example would be when I was in Bible college. Guys on a regular basis would use this line to girls. God told me that you're the one I'm supposed to marry. I always wondered, why don't girls ever respond by saying, well, when God tells me that, then I'll let you know. <laughs> God speaks through circumstances as well. I'm convinced that God is always in communication with us, and circumstances is one of the ways. But it's not completely reliable, especially by itself. Now, certainly open and closed doors can play a factor, and the Bible talks about this, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, where Paul says, a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. And so the context there is that God, Paul had a vision of a man calling him to come to Macedonia, northern Greece. Now, this meant that the gospel was going to go into the continent of Europe for the first time. And Paul's excited about that potential, but... He also recognizes that there are many who oppose him. Because sometimes we take God's will to mean, well, whatever is easiest. You know, it just all fell into places so easy it must have been God. Well, sometimes that happens. But God's will isn't always the easiest path. Jesus talked about the broad way being the, the easy path. The narrow way is the path of God. So just because you know, it's God's will, does, you know, if it's difficult, that doesn't mean it wasn't God's will. I heard about a man who knew that God, he just knew that God was telling him to buy a brand new pickup truck. He prayed about it, and even circumstances confirmed that because the local dealership, the one closest to his house, just happened to have the right color and model. There's only one problem. He didn't have the income to buy it. And so God can and does use circumstances to communicate to us. I don't really believe in coincidences. I believe in God incidents. But in a court of law, nothing gets proved by circumstantial evidence. Circumstances can be used to corroborate evidence, but it's never, the, it's never enough to convict somebody. So be careful about building a case for God's will solely on the basis of circumstances. So some things to look for then in navigating these waters. First, look for confirmation because God does not lead in a vacuum. If God is, something, is telling you to do something totally new, something out of the blue, he's going to provide confirmation. For example, I know some guys who have claimed to have the gift of preaching, but unfortunately, nobody seems to have the gift of listening. And see, that's what the church, that's what other believers are for. You know, we have to hear for God for ourselves. That's our responsibility. But the church and other believers are there to provide confirmation. 
for God's leading. See, I can't tell you what God's specific will for your life is. That's God's job. It's your responsibility to hear from God. But I can be there to help provide confirmation. Isn't Yeah, that kind of sounds like God. Or have you considered this? Well, the next thing to consider after confirmation is timing. Now, two things I know about God's timing. First, it's perfect. And second, it's almost never mine. You know, God's timing is perfect. Uh, but just because I hear from something doesn't mean that, that it's going to happen immediately. I can often make that mistake. For example, in the Bible, God told Moses that he was going to lead his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. Moses took that to mean right away. And so very shortly after that, he saw an Egyptian master beating a Hebrew slave. And he thought, now's my time to lead. And so he took matters into his own hands and killed that Egyptian master. God had to say, uh, Moses, that's not exactly what I had in mind. And he sent him to the desert for 40 years, where there Moses learned that there can be a considerable lag time between the calling of God and the commissioning of God. 40 years in Moses' case. See, when God calls us, a lot of times there's going to be a period of preparation before we actually get about the work, the commissioning of doing and functioning in our ministry. Corey Tenboom told the story of when she was a little girl in pre-World War II Germany. She wanted to know why God didn't tell her the future in advance, and her father gave her this explanation. He said, Corey, when you take the train to visit your grandparents, do I give you the money for the train a week before your trip? And she said, no. He said, well, when do I give you the money? She says, well, when I get to the train station just before I'm to buy the ticket. He said, that's exactly the way it is with God. He gives us what we need in his timing, not in ours. He gives us when we, when we need it. Well, then a third factor in determining God's will can be peace, peace of mind. See, if everything else is equal, whatever gives you the most peace. Sometimes I've made, and I've made decisions on that basis too. This peace gives me, this, this scenario gives me a whole lot more peace than this scenario. And when we step out in faith and follow God, sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Some of those instances, God will redeem our efforts and work it out. In others, he will redirect our path. But here's the good news. God is working in and through those situations. In other words, he's, in fact, he's already been at work, redeeming where necessary or, or redirecting, if that's the case. But I know so many believers that can get stuck in indecision because they're paralyzed by fear of making the wrong choice. And that's not the way it is with God. See, the bad news is we will mess it up. We're not going to get it right perfectly. But the good news is that God cleans it up. God guides through his word, through his spirit, his people, and circumstances. And those aren't the only ways that God leads us. He's so creative. He has a thousand means at his disposal. He can lead through music. Perhaps one of the best ways I sense God's presence and hear his voice is when I'm praising him through worship music. God speaks through nature and creation. He speaks through miraculous means. He can speak through our conscience, through our reason, through gifts and abilities, God speaks through dreams and visions even. To this day in country where Christianity is illegal, God is revealing himself repeatedly through dreams and visions. Report after report confirms that an unbeliever has never heard of Jesus, has a dream of him, but he doesn't know who this man in the dream is. And then a messenger comes, shows a film about Jesus' death and resurrection, and then one who has had that dream recognizes the man in his dream. It is Jesus, the Son of God. God is using dreams and visions 
on a regular basis to this day in countries where the gospel is illegal? Well, two results. First of all, we become more like Christ. It says he guides me in paths of righteousness. He does not guide us in paths of unrighteousness. That is not God's leading. God is righteous and he wants us to be righteous as well. But then secondly, God is glorified. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, quite often God's guidance isn't just for our own benefit. It's to, for the benefit of others as well. And God has amazing ways in which to accomplish his purposes. But at the end of the day, it is not about us. It is about God. That's one of the main reasons he guides us. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, one of my favorite passages. One reason is because it's on the inside rim of milkshake cups at In-N-Out Burger. But the other reason is because of what it says, because it's awesome. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. It says, lean not on your own understanding. In other words, it's not up to you to figure it out. That's God's job to show you what is your responsibility is to trust God. That's what it says. In all your ways, trust him. And he will make your paths straight. A better translation is he'll make your paths right or correct. But notice it's in the plural, paths. That means there's more than one right answer. See, unless it's a clear issue of sin, which is never God's will, unless it's a sin issue, that means there's more than one right answer when it comes to God. See, God's will is not like a TV game show. You know, door number one, door number two, door number three. One door has an amazing prize, one has a mediocre prize, and one has a lame prize. And so I'm afraid that if I pick the wrong door, I'm going to be stuck with a lame prize for the rest of my life. That's not God's will. It's not like that. See, here's the takeaway. If you are in God's will, if you're walking in obedience to God's will, you're in his will. So if God wants you to change, it is his responsibility to show it, show it to you, and he will confirm that as well. If you're obeying God, guess what? You're in his will. Continue to let him guide you and keep on the path that you're on. And this means learn to discern God's voice. Because again, here's a news flash. Not every thought you think is true just because you think it. The voices in your head can come from one of three sources, can come from your flesh, the enemy, or from God. And so learn to discern, learn to hear God's voice for yourself. And when you hear God's voice, obey. I heard a story from the Soviet Union back when it was still in existence where one pastor was arrested and he was placed into prison. And his wife and children were sent to Siberia, where they lived in a dilapidated cabin out in the woods. And one night, in the remote, cold climate, as they were sitting at home, the three children divided their family's last crust of bread and drank the last cup of tea in the house before climbing into, into bed. They were still hungry. And kneeling to say their prayers, they, a they asked, "'Where are we going to get more food, Mama?' We're hungry. Do you think Papa even knows where we live now? Their mother assured them that their heavenly father knew where they lived, and for now, he was the one that's going to have to provide. And so they prayed and asked for God's provision. 30 kilometers away, in the middle of the night, God woke up the deacon of the church of that town and instructed him, get out of bed, 
harness your horse, hitch the horse to a sled, and load up all the extra vegetables that the church has harvested, load up all the meat and the other food that the congregation has collected, and take it to that pastor's family living outside the village. They are hungry. The deacon actually had an argument with God. He said, Lord, I can't do that. It's below zero outside. My horse might freeze, and I might freeze. The Holy Spirit said, you must go. The pastor's family is in trouble. The man continued his argument with God. He said, Lord, you certainly must know that there are wolves everywhere. Like, God doesn't, wouldn't know that. There are wolves everywhere. They could eat my horse, and if they do, then they'll eat me. I'll never make it back. But the deacon said the Holy Spirit then told him, you don't have to come back. You just have to go. <laughs> so he did. I kind of, <laughs> kind of shut him up. So right around dawn, he arrived at the cabin, knocked loudly on the door. And I imagine the, the mom and the kids were terrified about who might be at the door at that hour. And they opened the door to find one very cold member of the body of Christ standing on their front step. His sleigh was piled high with food behind him, and he held a huge sack and announced, our church collected this food for you. Be fed. And when it runs out, I'll bring more. You don't have to come back. You just have to go. I want to encourage you to have that kind of a mindset when it comes to following God's direction. Because when you pray, Lord, show me your will, you're acknowledging that God has the right to direct your life. That God is sovereign, not only over all creation, not only all over all of history, but over you as well. And he has the right to be your guide. He knows what's best for you, and he knows what's best for the bigger picture as well. So we're going to close with a word of prayer. And if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord, you can do that right now, the guide of your life. You can do that by praying this prayer with me. And if you have made Jesus the Lord, would you also pray out loud to encourage those that might be praying this for the first time? Will you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for your love. Come into my life and be my guide. I trust you to lead. And I commit my ways to following you. In Jesus' name, amen.